It's quite possible you have some annoying people in your life. Do you have any corrosive Christians eating away at your insides? Anyone getting on your nerves? Do you have some sandpaper saints rubbing you the wrong way? Welcome to On Mission, the preaching ministry of Edgewood Baptist Church in Rock Island. When we gather together, we meet on 38th Street. And when we're scattered, we strive to live on mission all over the Quad Cities area. In his book called People I Could Do Without, Donald Smith says our pent-up exasperation with people can send us into one of two modes, a reactionary rampage or a silent seethe. It's no surprise the Bible has quite a bit to say about putting up with one another. Listen now to part one of a message called Bearing with One Another. If you have a Bible handy, turn to Romans 15. Here's our main idea. Because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. Several weeks ago, Edgewood hosted a simulcast event in partnership with Voice of the Martyrs. The event was called Imprisoned for Christ. And it featured three men who were jailed for Jesus. We were urged to pray for persecuted believers, two main ways to pray. Pray that they'll be firm in their faith and that they'll remain faithful. During this event, I learned of a brand new book by Todd Nettleton called When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Well, that night, I went home and immediately ordered a copy. Uh, There's a link on Sermon Extras on our website or app if you'd like to do the same. Allow me to read an excerpt from the second chapter called, I Used to Beat Him. The nickname Haji is a term of respect in the Muslim world, bestowed on those who've completed their Hajj pilgrimage to Mecca, one of Islam's five pillars. It's not commonly combined with the title pastor, We met Pastor Haji at his grass-roofed house in the southern part of Ethiopia, an area where a rising tide of radical Islam was threatening the church and Christian believers. Outside the house, there was a burn mark on the wall. One week prior, radical Muslims tried to set fire to Haji's house. Thankfully, he put out the fire. As we sit drinking orange sodas, Haji graciously offered us we can look up to see sunlight streaming through holes in the tightly packed grass roof. The holes are the result of neighborhood Muslims throwing stones in the house, trying to pressure Haji and his family to leave the area or return to Islam. Thankfully, none of his family was injured by falling stones. Haji understands the hatred of radical Muslims. He used to be one of them. He was so devout, he was sent to Saudi Arabia for special training. As we stood outside the hut, Haji had his arm around the evangelist that brought us to meet him. Nodding his head toward the evangelist, he said five words I will never forget. So this is the former Muslim, his arm around the evangelist, said these five words, I used to beat him. What? 
I used to beat him. Haji went on to tell us that he was the leader of a radical Islamic group of young men and part of their holy duty to their prophet was attacking and harassing Christians. One of those they attacked was this very evangelist, the man now smiling with Haji's arm draped loosely over his shoulders. In spite of beatings, the evangelist refused hatred for his attackers. Instead, he showed them love and he offered them blessings and good news. Haji had no explanation for such a response. How could a man you were beating show love to you? How could he not grow angry and fight back? Eventually, Haji's heart was won by the gospel message and the love of the Christian man he was attacking. He left the vitriol and violence of Islam for peace beyond his understanding. So here's what I wrote down. I don't know what your reaction is to hearing that. Here's what I wrote down. This follower of Christ was able to forgive a Muslim for beating him. It makes me wonder why I struggle to bear with someone who simply bugs me. Well, in this final installment of our One Another series, our focus is on the biblical imperative to love one another. This week, I learned something new. There's 59 different one another statements Here's something I learned, two things. One third of them deal with unity in the church. That means unity is a big deal to God. Another third of them instructs us to love one another. So Edgewood will be united to the extent that we love one another. I've been pondering one pastor's perspective I put it on the top of the screen. The primary activity of the church was one anothering one another. Well, as we've been learning and many of us have experienced firsthand, every relationship we have can rupture easily. Listen, if we don't work at it, our idiosyncrasies will become irritants and our unity will unravel. That's why we must and will follow the exhortation in Ephesians 4, 3, which says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. (laughs) This week, I went through some old files. Do you ever do that? And you go, whoa, I didn't know that was in there. So I was going through some old files. I came across an online search I did 18 years ago. Here's the topic. Annoying people. (laughs) I just typed it into Google. 1.1 million sites came up in the search results. Well, so this week I thought, well, I'm going to do the same search. So I did the same search. The number of results increased from 1.1 million in 2003 to 170 million today. 
Now, I don't know if that means there are that many more irritating people or if it's our tolerance for those who aggravate us that has tanked. Hey, my guess is there are some annoying people in your life. I might be one of them. (laughs) Do you have any corrosive Christians just eating away at your insides? Anyone getting on your nerves? Any sandpaper saints just rubbing you the wrong way? Well, in a book called People I Could Do Without, isn't that a great title for a book? People I Could Do Without. Donald Smith says our pent-up exasperation with people can send us into two modes. See if you fit one of these modes. Maybe you're in the middle. Here's one mode. A reactionary rampage. You just lose it. The other mode is to go into a silent seethe. I mean, you're silent about it, but you're seething. You know, it's no surprise the Bible has a lot to say about bearing with one another. So last weekend, our focus was on helping people bear their burdens. Tonight, it's a little more personal. How can you and I bear with one another? So the phrase, bear with, well, it means to endure patiently, to put up with, to be indulgent, to suffer. It's the idea of long-suffering, being slow to be angry. Let's just admit it. We don't do much of that at all today. We sound off, we run off, or we run somebody else off. And sometimes we square off and we want to knock someone off. But seldom do we put up with people. So the phrase, bear with, occurs 17 times in the New Testament. Here's the first time it's used. It's used by Jesus, Matthew chapter 17, verse 17. This is right after the transfiguration. Jesus comes down the mountain, and there's a crowd. A man comes up and asks for mercy on his son. I brought him to your disciples. They could not heal him. And Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, How long am I to be with you? Check this. How long am I to bear with you? How long shall I put up with you? Ephesians 4.2 gives us four ways to cut others some slack. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience. So here's the phrase, bearing with one another in love. Well, there's some four ways, there are four ways here that we're to cut each other some slack, but first, we're gonna have to deal with our pride. Do you see that first with all humility? Here's our pride. It often gets evidence this way. We think we're always right, everyone else is wrong. When we're humble, we'll put up with people because we know we're not easy to be around with either. Secondly, we're to be gentle with believers who believe and behave differently than we do, recognizing that the God of grace, we just sang about amazing grace, is gentle with us. 
Thirdly, when we're patient with others, we can see that they're in process just like we are. God isn't finished with me, and he's not done with you either. And number four, when we bear with others, we're to do so in an attitude of love, not indifference or hatred. Uh, Look at Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones. This is so tender. You You can hear the plea here from Paul. He's writing to a church. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What are we to put on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Check out the first phrase of verse 13. What is it? Say it with me. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, well, sometimes it's not a matter of bearing. It's forgiving each other. What's our model? Jesus. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. So instead of being harsh with others, we're called to be holy and humble. We're to bear with those who bug us. And if someone has wronged us, we're to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us, even those who persecute us. Now, before you can bear with someone, you may first need to forgive them for whatever they've done to you. Forbearing and forgiveness often go hand in hand. This leads to our main idea. Because Jesus bears with us, aren't you glad he does? We can, we must bear with one another. And so we're called to put up with different personalities, different preferences, different perspectives. Several weeks ago, we briefly referenced the first verses of Romans chapter 15. We spent most of our time in chapter 14 where we were exhorted to accept one another. I want to go back to that text and I want us to take a closer look. So open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 15. We're going to discover six ways to bear with those who bug us. Let me give them to you right at the beginning. Put up, build up, look up, grow up, stand up, and speak up. Paul is writing to two distinct groups in the church at Rome. He's writing to those who are weak and those who are strong. And each group graded on one another. The strong saints had no problem eating meat sacrificed to idols, while others felt by eating meat a person could become spiritually contaminated. This group followed a strict diet. They they thought some days were more spiritual than others. So these believers bothered the other believers who felt they could indulge in any kind of meat and worship on any day they wanted. So what's going on? One group hadn't fully grasped the extent of their freedom in Christ. The other group exercised their freedom in Christ with a clear conscience. But get this, but didn't bear with believers who disagreed with them. Listen, we've said this before in this series. This is the last message in this series, so I want to say it again. 
We can easily fall into thinking that the way we do things or our perspective is proper and right and those who differ from us must somehow be wrong. And some of us go out of our way to try to control how other believers believe and how they behave, secretly judging them according to our own spiritual standards. In fact, most of us would categorize ourselves as the strong ones as we wonder why so many people are weaker than we are. Matt Smethurst frames it this way, an immature Christian is someone who has a PhD in others' sins and a junior high diploma in their own. Now let me be clear, we're not asked to tolerate someone's trespasses. We're not caving on what the Bible says is sin. But instead, we're called to give grace to those who are wired differently than we are. And these differences are sometimes expressed in lifestyle choices, or they may just be annoying habits. We're called to bear with someone who is a bore or someone who snores. Maybe it's someone who sneezes or wheezes. Perhaps it's someone who's nosy or rosy. I guess I'm not a poet. That was my ode to Dr. Seuss. So, so here's the rub. The person who rubs me the wrong way may not be sinning against me, but I can very easily sin against him or her with my attitude or my actions. Well, let's look first. Number one, put up. (laughs) We're called to put up with people. Verse one, we who are strong have an obligation, that's a strong word, to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So the stronger believers are to bear with believers who mess up. When Paul uses the word obligation, he's saying we're bound by Christ to bear with others. Let me bring it to where we live. In an age of cancel culture and hypercritical Christianity, we're called to endure the frustrations of living closely with others as we tolerate disputable matters we disagree with or as we simply put up with personality quirks and preferences. So we're challenged to restrain our natural reaction towards odd or difficult people by allowing them to be themselves without thinking that they have to become just like us. The key is found in the last part of the verse, and not to please ourselves. This goes back to what we learned last week. Our tendency is to strive for first place. The Bible says we're to lunge for last place as we follow the example of the one who died in our place. Paul had this figured out, 1 Corinthians 9, 12, but we endure anything, that's quite a statement, rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do You know, it's always been easy for saints to get sideways with one another. In the late 1800s, there were two deacons in a small Baptist church in Mayfield, Kentucky. They didn't get along, and they always opposed each other in any decision the church made. 
So on one particular Sunday, one deacon put up a small wooden peg on the back wall for the preacher to hang his hat on. (laughs) The other deacon discovered the peg. He was outraged, and he left the church. As far as I know, this is a true story. The church split, and the new church was formed. Get this, here's the name of the new church. The Anti-Peg Baptist Church. Now, I can't prove that's a true story, but you can imagine it might be, right? So because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. Secondly, build up. So not only put up, but Build up one another. That's right from verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So when we bear with one another, we allow God to use us to help construct Christians. When we blast away, we willingly or unwillingly participate in the process of tearing them down. Notice, We're not just to endure people, we're to encourage people. How are you doing at that? Our aim is to be a disciple-making church where everyone is being discipled and everyone who has been discipled is discipling others. We want to be and create a culture where everyone is built up in their faith. And God is committed to building people up. And he's greatly grieved when we demolish what he has designed. Check out Isaiah 57, 14. Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstruction from my people's way. Here's a question. Are you a hindrance or a helper? God doesn't want obstacles to stand in the way of someone's growth. He longs for builders in the body of Christ. Are you a builder? 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I like how Paul encourages the church at Thessalonica. He's like, okay, you guys are doing okay. You're already doing it, but do it more. Part of building others up is recognizing how we might irritate other people. Is there anything you're doing right now which annoys those around you? <laughs> well, I have a bad habit. That I'm not sure I want to confess in front of everyone, but I told Beth I would, and she's like, really? <laughs> so, so, so here you go. Here's one of my bad habits. So in our house, when Beth is looking for me, maybe she has a question or maybe we're getting ready to go somewhere, when she calls my name, I don't answer her. (laughs) And I know it bugs her. I make her come and find me wherever I am in the house. I did it when our girls were in the house as well. I know it bugs them. And I should change. Uh, this week, I did it again. So, so what is it that, that you're doing that you know bugs someone else? So if you know you're rubbing people the wrong way with something you're doing, 
then maybe you should change. I think Beth's glad I said that out loud because now I have to change. So because Jesus bears with us, we can bear with one another. Are you rubbing people the wrong way? Anything you need to change? Is someone rubbing you the wrong way? Since Jesus bears with you, you can bear with that person. Thanks for joining us for On Mission. If you'd like to hear more sermons like this one or want to learn more about the ministry of Edgewood, go to edgewoodbaptist.net or download our free mobile app on the Apple App Store or Google Play by searching for Edgewood QC. We'd love to have you as a guest at one of our three weekend services, Saturday at 5 or Sunday at 9 or 1045. My name is Matt Williams and I'm a member of Edgewood. Ethan Curry, also an Edgewood member, is serving as the producer of this program. We look forward to connecting with you again next weekend as we learn more about how to live on mission. Until then, go deep in God's Word and keep applying it to your world. On Mission is furnished by Edgewood Baptist in Rock Island, Illinois.